This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. How can I be justified from all my sins? The enlightened soul knows how deep the stain is of his sins and how impossible it is to wash it out with some good works, a whole bunch of good works. The enlightened soul knows that knows what the answer to the question that was asked Jesus is in Matthew 19, 16, Matthew 19, 16. Behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? The answer to that question is nothing you cannot the stain runs too deep. There's nothing. Now, we all know that when it comes to our sins, God says in Isaiah 118, Isaiah 118, your sins be as scarlet. Isaiah 118, Isaiah 118 says, they be red like crimson. When crimson stains a garment, you are never going to get that out. And those stains of the soul go so way down too deep to be able to be washed away with any good works but he endures the many things that he's suffering in verse 21. And he set those things before him. The joy that he set before him is that his blood will wash those stains out. Revelation 1.5, Revelation 1.5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So he endures these things because he knows his blood is going to be able to wash the sins away and that is a joy for him, and that's what he puts in front of him. And then he also knows about his blood. 1 Peter 1.18, 1 Peter 1.18, you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot. So it's Christ's joy that he set before him to have the payment. A ransom has been found, it's his blood, and that's joyful. And then it's joyful for him to step in with a new role, a role that he has, which is a Hebrews 3.26 role, Hebrews 3.26. The role and the title 
that will be so joyful for him that he sees himself getting is Romans 3.26, the justifier. He's going to become the justifier. The devil is the terminator, but Christ is the justifier. Hebrews 4.5, Hebrews 4.5, him that justifieth. For Christ to become the justifier is a joy that's set before him, and there's only one way he could become the justifier, and the only way that he could be the justifier is Isaiah 53.11, Isaiah 53.11. With the travail of his soul that God will be satisfied with, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus will become the justifier, and that's joyful for him, when he suffers the load of our iniquities. And he sets his joy of becoming the justifier before him and enables him to endure all these things in verse 21. But the greatest joy, these are not the greatest joy, the greatest joy that he has set before him is this. He had a charge from God the Father. And that charge was that he should become the son. Psalm 2, thou art my son, this day have I begotten there. There was a day when he, the second person of the Godhead, became the son. And the son, the charge that God the Father gave him as the son is that he would be sent that's a very important word to get a hold of. Sent into the world to save the world from their sins. Sent is the essence of the word Messiah. John 3.16 is a Messiah verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he gave him, sent him, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The whole concept of Messiah is built around this word sent. He was always conscious that he was sent into the world. As the Father sent me, so send I you. As the Father sent me, so send I you. I am the Messiah sent. I want you to be little messiahs. As followers of Christ, we are little messiahs sent into the world to do the will of God. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. He accepted to do the will of God, the will, will of the Father, go into the world, and his response was to the charge from God the Father, will you be my son? Will you be sent into the world? And his response is Psalm 40, verse 7. Psalm 40, verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it's written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy laws within my heart. And as followers of Christ, our greatest victory over ourselves, over ourselves, is when we accept to do the will of God over and against our will. And he obeyed the Father's will. John 4, 34, John 4, 34. Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And our greatest moment is when we obey God. That's our finest moment. The greatest joy he has, therefore, in life, the greatest joy is to receive the reward of pleasing God the Father. Now, there's a verse that he spoke that we always think, oh, that applies to us. No, applies to him also. In Matthew 25, 21, Matthew 25, 21, his Lord, and think of this as God the Father, his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I have, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. We always think that verse is applying to us in our lives, but it applies to Christ. He's talking about himself when he says this. Because he was the good and faithful servant that obeyed the Father. And the joy of thy Lord is the joy of hearing the Lord be so happy 
that he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That was the greatest joy that the Lord Jesus set before him to be able to hear of the Father say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that caused him to endure all these many things. It's all these joys are set before him. The joy of personally experiencing the resurrection from the dead. The joy of bringing many sons to glory. The joy of blazing the trail from death to life. The joy of being the guide to bring those many sons to glory. The joy of being the author of eternal salvation and rejoicing with the angels who he talked about in Luke 15, 7. Luke 15, 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. The joy of showing the custom-made mansion to each one of his sons that he's brought to glory. The joy of showing those many sons his glory that he spoke about. The joy of being the justifier of the ungodly. The joy of washing their sins away with his blood. The joy of redeeming lost souls with his blood. And finally, the joy of hearing the Father say to him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. All that was part of what made up the joy that he set before him to endure, verse 21, suffering many things. And the more we see the joy that Jesus set before him, the more we'll understand how he held up under all that burden in verse 21. That's the Hebrews 12 two. Hebrews 12 two, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The more we said that joy in front of us, the more we'll be able to endure our hardships like Becky Nader wrote to me this last week. She wrote, hi, Tom. It hardly seems possible that our time with my mom in San Diego is over. I wanted every moment to stretch out, and it was so hard to say goodbye the night before we left. My great consolation was the thought of heaven. No more goodbyes and to be with Jesus. See, the joy that Becky set in front of her was the thought of heaven. No more goodbyes and to be with Jesus. We endure as Jesus did when we set joy before us. And one of the reasons that the Lord told his disciples in verse 21 that he's going to suffer all these many things and so forth was that he didn't want them to be surprised about what's going to happen so that they would understand that what was going to happen to him was, the reason it was all going to happen to him was because of Acts 2.23, Acts 2.23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you've taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. When it says that in Acts 2.23, the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, that means the sufferings of Christ and the death of Christ was not a surprise to heaven. As a matter of fact, the words determinate counsel, counsel means there's more than one person involved in this discussion. Determinate means there was a decision, a conclusion. So the sufferings of Christ, the death of Christ were discussed in advance and they were agreed upon by Christ as God the Son and by God the Father. That's the reason Christ walked right into the hands of his captors. He walked right into the hands for the suffering, and that's described in John 18.3. John 18.3, Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? So he's not trapped by his captors. He could have escaped at any moment. He knew exactly what was going to happen to him, and that's what he was describing, verse 21. And he voluntarily walked right into their hands, John 18, 4. John 18, 4, Jesus knowing, therefore, all things that should come upon him went forth 
And that's the reason why verse 21 showed his disciples what he was going to suffer, how he was going to be killed, because he wanted them to know that he knew what was going to take place, how he was going to be tortured to death. And he wanted them to know he had agreed to be taken and tortured to death as a determinate counsel. Okay, but this message that Christ agreed with, that he's going to be taken, tortured to death, it didn't set well with Peter. And Peter immediately tried to stop that kind of talk about sufferings and being killed in verse 22, verse 22. Then Peter took him, began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. For Peter, it didn't matter if Christ agreed or not. For Christ as his leader to be publicly humiliated, stripped naked, have his skin ripped off of his back, have the hairs of his beard pulled out, be beaten to a pulp, publicly tortured to death on a cross? No, 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 no. That's over the top for Peter. Absolutely not. Not for Peter. So Peter got pretty bold in verse 22 when it says Peter took him and began to rebuke him. I don't really know what he did when it says Peter took him. Maybe Peter grabbed a hold of Christ and shook him and said, shake that idea of suffering and being killed right out of you. And for that matter, Peter was always the chief speaker. So for the disciples, he always said what nobody else wanted to say. And so evidently we conclude that all the rest of them agree that was a terrible idea for Christ to be suffering and be killed like that. Now the Lord has just said in verse 21, he must go unto Jerusalem. He uses the word must, must. And Peter has just said, this shall not be in verse 22. Verse 22, this shall not be. So Christ said in verse 21, Christ said in verse 21, this shall be. And Peter says in the next verse, it shall not be. As a matter of fact, Peter, when he does this, he uses a word that he should not have used. It doesn't match what he said at all. And that word is Lord in verse 22. Verse 22, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. You can't say that. You cannot say no and Lord together. It's either yes, Lord, or it's just no without saying Lord. Because to call him Lord means you accept his will, which is why Christ said and asked the disciples, in Luke 6.46, Luke 6.46, he says, why do you do that? He says, Luke 6.46, why call ye me Lord and do not the things which I say? He's saying, you can't do that. You can't call me Lord and then say no. You can't call Christ Lord and not do what he says to do. And there's only two responses. It's either yes, Lord, or simply no, but not no, Lord. And that's what Peter said in verse 22. In verse 22, he said, no, Lord, this shall not be to you. And that's the way it is in our lives. We cannot say, we cannot call Jesus Lord and say no. Because if we say no, he cannot be our, called our Lord. He can only be our Lord if we say yes. So Peter's protest here brings a pretty quick and strong response back to Peter in verse 23, verse 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. So when it says he turned, I don't know what Peter did. Peter put his hand on his shoulder, and but whatever he did, when it says he turned, you can just picture the scene of how serious this was for the Lord Jesus, as if the Lord spun on his heels to confront Peter. I mean, this was his friend. This is his dear friend, Peter, who had, and Peter was standing in the way of Christ right now. Christ is on his way down that road of suffering, down that road of death, down that road to the cross and the resurrection. And so we can just 
We can just picture that in verse 21. He's going down the road. We can picture Christ with his words pointing himself down the road to the sacrifice in order to accomplish all those joys that set before him. And now Peter stands in the way of his road. He's blocking the way. He's blocking the way of Christ going down that road, doing the Father's will to bring many sons to glory. And the Lord is not going to let Peter block his way. He's not going to let him stand in his road. Actually, there were many obstacles that stood in, in the road that Christ was on in the way of the Lord going down the road to the cross. This was just one roadblock he had to move out of the way. This was a roadblock of his dearest friends trying to stop him from going to the cross. And here he pushes that roadblock of his friends out of his way. There was a roadblock of his own personal will, how he felt about it, to try to stop him from going to the cross. What's we already? Matthew 26, 39. Matthew 26, 29. When he fell on his face, prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. I will was a roadblock for him. That was a roadblock for him trying to stop him in the Garden of Gethsemane from going to the cross, and he had to push that out of the way. And as with Peter, as with his own will, there were other roadblocks that stood in the way of him going to the cross. And the Lord pushed all those roadblocks out of the way as he moved down the road to the cross. And he says in verse 23, get thee behind me. Now he says, get thee behind me, because he was moving down the road, the cross, and anything that was blocking him was in front of him. And so he's going to push it out of his way so that roadblock would become behind him, no longer block his way. Whatever roadblock he saw in his windshield was in front of him, and he was determined to see that roadblock in his rearview mirror behind him. So when the Lord said to Peter in verse 23, get thee behind me, that's the same as the Lord saying to Peter, Get in my rearview mirror as I watch your opposition to me going to the cross get smaller and smaller because I'm moving. I'm moving toward the cross. And this is what the Lord meant when he said to Peter with his opposition, get thee behind me, get thee behind me. Now the Lord says something very shocking when he says in verse 23, he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. He said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Imagine his disciples looking at each other and saying, Satan? He's talking to Peter. Has anyone seen Satan here? He must be confused. He's talking to Peter. He's not talking to Satan. One of his disciples might have come to him and said, Lord, you made a mistake. That's Peter you're talking to, not Satan. But the Lord didn't make a mistake. And that was Satan he was speaking to because Peter was speaking for Satan. And that brings out a question. How could at one moment Peter speak the words that have been revealed to him by God the Father in verse 16 and say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then the next moment from then, very next moment, he's speaking the words of Satan in verse 22. Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. How could the same person in one moment be controlled by God the Father and in the next moment be controlled by Satan? It happened. It happened. And what that means for us is the words of the hymn, my soul, be on thy guard. 10,000 foes arise. The hosts of sin are pressing hard to draw thee from the skies. Peter has just been drawn from the skies by the host of, of sin. And just like Peter, one minute we can be listening to God, speaking for God, acting for God. The next moment we can be listening to Satan, speaking for Satan, and acting for Satan. And so it's a call for us to, my soul, be on thy guard. And then the Lord addresses Satan, 
who's taking control of Peter. And the Lord says to Satan, thou art an offense unto me. Now, he didn't tell Satan, what he said to Satan, he didn't tell Satan that what he said, you know, get behind, was an offense to him. He told Satan, you yourself are an offense to me. An offense is something that stands in your way. That's the equivalent of the Lord saying, you are in front of me, opposing me. I see you in my front windshield and you blocked my way from going forward. You're in my way. You're an offense to me. I'm going to remove you out of my way and I'm going to put you behind me so that I see you in my rearview mirror. And we see how standing in the way of Christ going to the cross has been his dear friends. It's been Christ's own will. Well, here's the ultimate roadblock, which is Satan himself. And this is the mission of Satan. The word Satan means adversary, like an opponent. And it means that he opposes God, especially when it comes to Christ going to the cross. And Satan threw anything and everything in Christ's way on the road for him to go to the cross. Because every one of those, Hebrews 2.10, many sons being brought to God's glory, every one of those sons is a person who is extracted out of the many being brought into Satan's hell. And Satan doesn't cotton well to losing souls from going to hell, his hell. And then the Lord said to Satan in verse 23, Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. If you look at any other Bible translation, they've replaced that word, savorous. No, no, savorous. You don't have an interest. So they say things like that, you know. I like the word savor. It's an interesting word. You picture a person savoring food, you know, like a nice New York steak. Looks so good. You look at it, you savor it. You smell it before you take a bite out of it, you savor it. You take a bite, you chew it softly, you taste it, that's savoring. You know, there's a great fish taco place in Loretto called El Rey Fish Tacos. And my friend Eric made a great video, it's fantastic, of the El Rey Fish Taco place with his Baroque music. It's really something. Anyway, the last there, he's got this kid that's come in there. Oh, it's so good. You know, the little kid comes in and you don't hear the kid, but he says, and he goes, two, and then she says, and then the kid mouths out tacos pescado, and he says fish tacos. <laughs> it's really good. Anyway, the kid the kid gets these this fish taco, and he takes his first bite of the fish taco. And the kid, before he takes the bite, he shuts his eyes, goes like that, you know, so good. And he bites it so slowly into the taco, and he closes his eyes and he chews it very soft, slowly. And then what Eric did is that he he caught up. Uh, a gecko, a little gecko, and he starved the gecko. And then he, he put it on a branch and then he put a butterfly there and he had a video, a slow motion video of the, the gecko climbing up the branch and he chomps into the butterfly. But as he does, you see the gecko close his eyes the same way like the kid did. It's masterful. <laughs> Puts those two together. Anyway, the gecko, the kid, they enjoying every part, chew it very slowly. That's savoring. That's savoring to enjoy it. And this is what the Lord is saying to Satan. Satan, you have no enjoyment. You have no savoring of the holy things of God. You have enjoyment in savoring the sinful things of man. And the Lord Jesus was all about enjoying and savoring the holy things of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our Lord Jesus and all the time that he took to explain all these things to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.